This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The effective testosterone throughout our life causes the prostate tissue to basically grow a little bit over time. So there's a significant higher risk of having BPH or benign prostatic hyperplasia as we get older. Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. Today, we'll learn about benign prostatic hyperplasia. We'll discuss the better model for weight loss over 40. We'll find out about hormone health for men. And lastly, we'll explore upcycling food. But first, a little bit of business. Gentlemen, are prostate problems spoiling your day or waking you up at night? Ladies, are you tired of these disruptions? Discover Prostate Perform. Formulated with clinically proven natural ingredients, Prostate Perform helps reduce the frequency and urgency of men's bathroom breaks. Why wait? Prostate Perform relieves symptoms of BPH in men so you can both get back to enjoying your favorite activities. Available exclusively at quality health food stores. To learn more, visit NewRootsHerbal.com. And to ensure these products are right for you, always read and follow the label. Dr. Ludovic Brunel is a naturopathic physician trained at the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine in Toronto. Prior to his training as a doctor, he studied human nutrition at McGill University in Montreal. Dr. Brunel has spent the last 17 years helping patients optimize their health through better lifestyle and dietary supplementation. His passion remains educating the public, his patients, and colleagues. Welcome back to the show, doctor. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me back. I'm very excited about our interview today. Yeah, so we're talking about uh, men's health. This is Men's Health Month, so it's apropos. And the topic that we're going to cover today is benign prostatic hyperplasia, okay? Yeah, that sounds great. So why don't we start by talking about the prostate, what it is. For sure. So the prostate is basically a small gland in men, and it's part of a reproductive system. It's quite small, so it's about the size of a walnut, typically. And it sits right below the bladder, and it kind of surrounds the urethra. The urethra is basically the canal that we pee from, right? Mm -hmm. And its main goal in reproduction is that it makes a liquid that helps to carry sperm from the testicles through the penis, basically. Now, often men will have problems with the prostate, and uh, it's one of the things that we see very, very frequently. And different things can go wrong, right? And of course, one of those things is benign prostatic hyperplasia or hypertrophy. And basically, it's a swelling of the prostate. Most of the time, it gets worse as we age. Okay. And typically, who does it affect? Does it affect anybody or is it really just age-related? So the effect of testosterone throughout our life causes the prostate tissue to basically grow a little bit over time. So there's a significant higher risk of having uh, BPH or, or benign prostatic hyperplasia as we get older. The Mayo Clinic had done a prevalence study around their area and basically they saw that men in their 60s about 30 percent of them have this problem 40 percent of men in their 70s and then it goes up to 46 percent of men if we look at the eight and older decades of life and so very very common 
Do people, do men get it when they're younger? Is it possible to get it if you're younger than 50? For sure it is. Typically, uh, other problems are more likely to occur uh, in younger men. One that's more common is called prostatitis, which is uh, inflammation of the prostate that's typically related to an infection. And that affects about half of men at some point in their life. But yeah, typically we see more and more benign or BPH simply because the population is aging. So in Canada, for example, men over the age of 60, if we look about 12 years ago, there was about 4.5 million, and now we're looking at about 6.7. So the problem is growing partly because their population is aging. Okay. How would one know if they're suffering from BPH? So typically the main symptoms, we call them lower urinary tract symptoms. So some of the common symptoms are difficulty voiding so it's hard to start peeing it's often people will feel like they're not voiding completely after they urinate often there's frequency and especially at night it's called nocturia so often the person will get up often at night to go pee uh, and there's also a greater risk of urinary tract infections because there's incomplete voiding and there's more likely to be bacteria that proliferates in the bladder Okay, so they call it benign because what they mean is it's not cancerous, right? So it's not the same thing as having a cancerous prostate, right? For sure, yeah. So BPH is, uh, you're totally right, it's benign, not cancerous. It's an overgrowth of prostate tissue that pushes against the urethra and the bladder, and that blocks the flow of urine, and that's why we see those symptoms. Okay. Are there any natural products that can help alleviate some of the symptomology here? For sure. There's great research with uh, different ingredients. One product that I often recommend to patients is called Prostate Perform, and it's a New Roots Herbal product. It's a really great formula. It contains some of the key ingredients that we want to use when someone suffers from BPH, and those include things like saw palmetto, plant sterols, stinging nettle, rye flower pollen extract. And we have good studies to support the use of those ingredients specifically for those patients. So with saw palmetto, for example, we know that it inhibits the conversion of testosterone to its more active form, which is called dehydrotestosterone or DHT. And we know that if we can block some of that, it reduces the effect of testosterone on the prostate and it, it helps to reduce prostate growth. Stinging nettle also has research where we see that it interferes with the binding of DHT or this active form of testosterone to uh, sex hormone binding globulin. And by doing that, it again will interfere and reduce the effect of testosterone on prostate tissue. Rye flower pollen improves symptoms such as uh, frequency, the need to urinate at night, urgency, it improves flow rate, and it reduces pain. In this case, we think that the mechanism is that it relaxes smooth muscle tone around the urethra, so it just helps to open up that canal, and then it also increases muscle contraction in the bladder, improving voiding. And then sterile, plant sterols, uh, more and more research there. The, the one that's probably most known is called beta-cystosterol, and there they help to improve urinary symptoms as well. 
through an effect on testosterone again. With the issue with the testosterone, are we trying to reduce the amount of testosterone or increase the amount of testosterone in order to help with this issue? So testosterone is anabolic hormone, right? right? So it basically makes things grow and it has more an effect on certain tissue, just like estrogen has more an effect on breast tissue in women, Mm -hmm. the testosterone has more of an effect on the prostate tissue. Prostate tissue responds to testosterone. So although we're not trying to decrease testosterone levels, and none of these supplements do that directly, we're more trying to mitigate the effect of the testosterone on the prostate tissue. Got it. There's clear benefits, of course, to doing that, right? If we can uh, decrease the growth of the prostate tissue, then we're less likely to have those lower urinary tract symptoms. So getting BPH under control has obvious benefits in terms of quality of life. There's, you know, the urgency, the frequency is it really gets in the way. People have a hard time if they're traveling in a car and they don't have access to a washroom. Of course, it starts to affect sleep. And I see patients that are really sleep deprived because they're constantly waking up to use the washroom. It affects their energy, their mental health. And of course, it can affect their partner too. If they're constantly getting up at night, then, you know, it can cause some tension. Nobody's sleeping well. Everybody's a bit grumpy. Yep. No, that makes sense. So how would you know if, you know, what you're doing is working? That's a great question. And in cases of BPH, usually it's great because there's symptoms where we can see improvements right away. One of the things that typically happens is that if patients start counting how often they need to go during the day or during the night, they'll often see that, you know, they're not using the washroom quite as much. It'll be easier to avoid completely. So right away, patients, or within a few days, typically seven to 10 days, patients will really start noticing um, improvements in terms of their urinary symptoms. Dr. Brunel, are there any lifestyle changes that we could make that might help with BPH? Yeah, for sure. So one of the things that can be really helpful is trying to time water intake and especially, you know, trying to hydrate more in the early part of the day because we want to try to limit the number of times that we have to get up at night so that we can get the rest that we need. So that's often going to be really important. We want to avoid constipation just because if someone is constipated, often they'll put more pressure on those organs and make the symptoms of BPH worse. And so they're, you know, making sure that we're eating vegetables, fruits, things that are high in fiber, maintaining proper hydration, and then uh, using fiber supplements potentially can also be useful. Moving, uh, more exercise, of course, really, really important. Exercise is one of the best ways of reducing inflammation in our body. And so with the prostate being enlarged and inflamed, exercise will usually be very, very important. We also know that obesity is typically going to make things worse in terms of BPH. And so there again, trying to maintain a healthy weight and having a healthier weight also reduces inflammation in our body. So absolutely, you know, the things that we should all be doing, of course, are going to help BPH, but then things like, you know, trying to make sure hydration is managed and that uh, bowel function is normal is going to be particularly important. Good advice. You know, I've been trying to drop a few pounds lately, and what I'm finding is that if I restrict my eating at night, 
I'm not going to the bathroom as much at night. I don't know what the, and by that I mean urinating. And I don't know what the tie-in is, but it seems to be making a huge difference. Over the last couple of weeks, I've, I've stopped eating after dinner and I've noticed that I'm not going to the bathroom as much. So I don't know. That's a personal tip and it's not grounded. Yeah. It's not grounded in science, but it seems to be working for me. For sure. I find that usually people will rest or get a better sleep if they're not eating to close the bedtime. Yeah. Sometimes right. later snacks can also be higher in salt or sugar. Exactly. And then if you eat some of that, of course, you're going to be more thirsty. And then if you drink more water, you're going to get up more, right? Right. Yeah. How does BPH affect our sexual health? Is there any tie-in? Are the hormones the same or, you know, what's the connection? Yeah. So if you have an enlarged prostate, right, which is what happens in BPH, you may experience sexual problems just because the prostate is more likely to push on nerves or basically cause some erectile dysfunction. It's a complicated story, but men who get BPH will often have erectile dysfunction. And so in that case, what we want to do is try to reduce the pressure that the prostate is exerting on those structures and those nerves. And so typically the treatment would be the same, right? So we're trying to manage the urinary symptoms by shrinking or controlling the size of the prostate and then hopefully um, erectile function improves once we can get that under control. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Another thing that I should have mentioned about lifestyle that's quite important is, of course, alcohol tends to make BPH worse, right? Alcohol uh, essentially causes more inflammation, and, of course, it's a diuretic, so it'll make all those urinary symptoms worse. And so one of the things that I'll often mention to patients is to try to avoid alcohol, especially in the evening before they go to bed, because they'll tend to make all their urinary symptoms worse. Great advice. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be there. That was Dr. Ludovic Brunel, ND. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss a better approach to weight loss over 40 on The Tonic. Gentlemen, are prostate problems spoiling your day or waking you up at night? Ladies, are you tired of these disruptions? Discover Prostate Perform. Formulated with clinically proven natural ingredients, Prostate Perform helps reduce the frequency and urgency of men's bathroom breaks. Why wait? Prostate Perform relieves symptoms of BPH in men so you can both get back to enjoying your favorite activities. Available exclusively at quality health food stores. To learn more, visit NewRootsHerbal.com. And to ensure these products are right for you, always read and follow the label. Did you know that if you walk or run and are out of alignment, you increase your chances of seriously injuring yourself? We're all athletes. Healthy, injured, pro, amateur, veteran, novice. Plantiga empowers you to perform better, recover faster, and build resilience through deeper understanding of how you move. Utilizing their sensor insoles, they measure your movement in detail, speed, gait, asymmetries, and so much more. Then you work one-on-one with a dedicated movement coach that gives you personalized insights and programming to help you achieve your goals, whether that's running a race or fending off that looming injury. To reach your potential and keep you in the game for as long as possible, register for the Plantiga Movement Health Program at plantiga.com beta. Are you frustrated by stubborn weight loss? Feeling stuck in a cycle of dieting and deprivation? Are you sick and tired of how much mental time and energy this issue takes up in your life? Dr. Cher Beauvais understands because at age 50, she was there too. Now she runs supervised weight loss programs across Canada based on the research and discoveries that led to her weight loss breakthrough. 
she's helped thousands of Canadians over age 40 to lose their weight and maintain it so they can have an enjoyable lifestyle once again. See if her approach is right for you by booking a 15-minute assessment call with Dr. Beauvais. Use the link on her website, drsherbovay.com. That's D-R-S-H-E-R-B-O-V-A-Y.com. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Dr. Cher Beauvais runs a successful national weight loss and lifestyle company. Her supervised programs are designed to specifically help people over the age of 40 struggling to lose body fat and keep it off with ease, all while achieving their optimal lifestyle. Her approach is based upon her research and personal discovery after her own struggles at age 50 with weight gain. With over 30 years of experience in the health field as a chiropractor, along with the additional certification she holds from Harvard Medical School's Institute of Lifestyle Medicine. To learn more about Dr. Beauvais and her programs, you can visit her website, drsherbovay.com. Welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm great. Thanks, Jamie. So we all know about the way that most people lose weight. Mm-hmm. And that is not everybody, but a lot of people count calories, right? Calories in, calories out. Right. So what's the basis of that model? Why do we do that? Well, you know, it's interesting when you look back a little bit in history, like there was kind of two models that were being used in research around obesity and weight loss. And as I said, this comes from the 30s. So the North American research was fundamentally around this whole calorie in, calorie out model, which is not wrong. There is a place for it. Absolutely. But it's the whole idea, you know, whatever you eat, if you create a little bit of a deficit between eating less, exercising more, create a healthy range of a caloric deficit, maybe 500 calories a day, slow and steady, you'll gradually lose weight. It can work, not for everybody, but that's where it comes from, is that that model. And it's just sort of taken over as our mantra because there was a different model. We'll, We'll get to that in a sec, but in Europe, but the research for that basically had a very different premise for it. And um, the research dried up because of literally a war. So that research stopped. And the North American model kind of took over until more recently, over the last, you know, maybe five to 10 years, where other now they're looking at other factors. So calorie in, calorie out is fundamentally looking at the external factors. Okay. So what does it do accurately and how does it not work? Can you kind of explain the pros and cons mm-hmm. of it? Yeah. So... As I said, I mean, it's based on external factors, right? Manage what you take and eat less, exercise more basis, right? Now, again, that can work. It can work. Often it works for a lot of people. Maybe, you know, they haven't had weight issues before. Maybe they're a bit younger and their body will respond. But what I find, this was my own personal experience, but also I mean, the people I work with all the time now, they find they're doing that and they're being honestly consistent with it. And it's not working. They're like, something's not right here. They find they're starting to, either weight loss is extremely slow, their body's not responding, or they lose a little bit and they have one little thing, this was my story, one little thing on the weekend, not on track, and they're up two or three pounds Monday, which if you do calorie in, calorie out, the numbers, they don't add up. Like that's, there's something obviously off there. So typically that starts to kick in. A little bit with age. I don't like to say because one is older, therefore you just have to accept, you know, putting weight on, not necessarily, but bodies change. So it's age for both men and women, particularly with women, the hormonal changes. If people have a history of yo-yoing with weight up and down, that can throw things off. So then their body stops responding. And just actually just the accumulation of belly fat over time. Belly fat's a very active tissue. 
releases a lot of different um, biochemicals, hormones, affects hormones. And the result is the body doesn't respond in the same way. So that's often what, what people notice and why there's a difference in terms of how their body's working. Okay, is there a different model for healthy weight loss other than calorie in, calorie out? Yes. So this gets into the research that was being done back in the 30s in the European model. The whole idea is the basis of the traditional, I'll call it traditional approach, calorie in, calorie out. Basically, you're using food for fuel. It's based on you eat so much glucose is provided for the cells, gets broken down by in the system. Insulin puts it into the cells. That's our fuel. That's how we fuel our body. We can debate which diet is the best and paleo and this and that. At their foundation, it's still based on using food for fuel. But this whole other method is or approach is out of Europe is when there's this internal dysregulation or imbalance in the body, the body's not responding to the calorie in, calorie out external factors. There's an something that has to trigger internal change. It has to disrupt this internal imbalance. When you address the internal imbalance, then the body will respond. So that's a, it's just look at the internally. There's a great quote by a professor back in the 50s, a Harvard professor, and she said, it's kind of like saying, you know, well, how you treat out, blaming alcoholism on people, well, they just drink too much. Well, it's like blaming obesity on, well, they just eat too much, right? So it's actually, there can be a lot of internal things that are going on. Okay, so why would some people have this internal dysregulation and imbalance? Like, what are the factors? Yeah, so the things that would, would interfere with this is, I mean, as I mentioned a bit, the hormonal imbalance. Right. We can go into a little more detail on that in a sec, but there's also um, effects on the, the, the metabolism. Also, genetics can play a role in this, the genomic part of it, and even that area of the brain, like the hypothalamus is like the mothership of metabolism. So a lot of the experiments early on would see when there's a bit of a disruption there, then it would throw the hormones off. They're no longer sensitive to the blood glucose levels. And as a result, the body put the weight on. Let's focus on the hormones because that was number one on your list. Yeah, yeah. And this is the one probably that's easiest for people to understand and, and where they can have the most impact, actually. So fundamentally, the hormone that that is that governs this whole thing is insulin. So insulin is a hormone that manages, that delivers, basically delivers your glucose from your blood that you gets provided by food into the cells. Well, in order for that to happen efficiently, it's kind of like a delivery at the door, right? The FedEx delivery. Well, if you keep ignoring the doorbell, then the FedEx has to take the package somewhere else. Well, that's what happens. You have insulin receptors. They start to become desensitized to insulin. So insulin's knocking at the door again. Hey, we got this nice little bit of glucose, so you have the fuel. And the result is if it's becoming desensitized, again, that internal disruption, the body doesn't respond buildup of blood glucose, it gets put into the cells. So that's the, the biggest one. It's all about managing insulin. And this whole other model is if you can get insulin down long enough, low enough period of time, almost bypass the reliance on using insulin to help with glucose delivery, then your body can can respond appropriately. It's not as it doesn't rely on that that delivery system working efficiently or inefficiently. So that's the, you know, the effect that the, the hormone, primarily insulin, and insulin is affected by years of eating too much hard sugar, these types of things, or our simple carbohydrates. Also, just yo-yoing up and down affects your insulin receptors. The genetics effect affects the receptors and the belly fat. Belly fat actually causes your insulin receptors to become desensitized. So a combination of everything. So that's the big hormonal um, impact. So that's where, from another strategy, the other model for weightless is how do we how do we 
bypass that whole system so that we're not relying on the receptors. And insulin also is hormone that will result, it actually, the fat cells are very sensitive to insulin. So once insulin is riding high for a long enough period of time, it makes the body accumulate fat and it prevents the fat cells from releasing fat. When normally they would, in the calorie in, calorie out, but when this happens, it literally is a, it's an accumulation of fat. How do genetics contribute to the picture? I think you mentioned that on your list. And, you know, if genetics are part of the problem, like, what do you do about that? Because we are who we are, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, it, it doesn't mean, and I know there was a time period, where, oh, it's my genes. I, I've, I've got the fat gene, therefore, what's the point of trying, right? Yeah. It's not like that. You can actually can influence. I mean, more and more research shows we can influence our genetics to a degree. It just gives us a better understanding. I've already mentioned about the insulin receptors. For sure, genetically, there are genomic profiles that some people and their genetics are just less efficient at dealing with glucose and their insulin receptors are not are not as efficient therefore they're more prone you and I could eat the same thing but if I have that genetic profile my body's going to be more prone to storing the glucose as fat whereas yours could be much more efficient at dealing with it that's one the other one is the behavioral side which I actually find really fascinating I think it's important for people to understand this as well because when there are genetic profiles that make people more prone to the pleasure response and it's stronger and it lasts longer again I could have a bowl of ice cream here. You know, I look at it, glance, okay, whatever. You look at it. Well, if you've got that genetic profile, your brain, your pleasure center, your dopamine receptors are are lighting up fireworks going, oh, yeah, I've got to get it, got to get it. Like, that looks so good. And you can't ignore it. It's just, it's a bit of a genomic. It just has to do with the neurotransmitter dopamine, which is the neurotransmitter of of, uh, pleasure seeking. So if somebody's got that profile where that pleasure response is stronger and genetically, they also don't make as many of the enzymes to break down the, that neurotransmitter, then their pleasure response is stronger, lasts longer, and, and it's tough, right? It's really powerful, and they're fighting that, that profile. Certainly, there's things one can do, just, but just even understanding that, and I've had a lot of people, Jamie, once I understand that, it helps deal with the shame. And like, what's wrong with me? I don't have willpower. Why can't I do this? Like everybody else can. It's like, you've just got a different, you know, you were dealt a different set of genes and, you know, and, but understanding it, it's like, okay, so we can move beyond that guilt and shame and like, okay, so I just need to have other strategies to deal with that. Okay. So let's talk about those strategies then. Okay. So if we have these imbalances and if we're genetically predisposed or if we have, you know, the dopamine levels are such that, you know, we really crave the food at night and I'm one of those people. (laughs) What do we do? Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, from a body standpoint, we'll talk about that briefly first. From a body standpoint, it's really dealing with getting your body to use a different source of fuel. Get your body to use fat for fuel. This way you're bypassing the entire reliance on the glucose and insulin. And that's where it's a completely different model. Like a hybrid car can use gas or electricity. Your body can use food, glucose, or fat. And ideally done properly, you can get your body to use your body fat for fuel. So your body's fully fueled, you have lots of energy, you can function, it's healthy, you keep your muscle, it's going to help you maintain your weight loss. But at the same time, you're bypassing this whole, uh, you know, the typical calorie in, calorie out glucose system. Are you talking about ketosis? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's using fat for ketosis. Two ways to do it. One is, or a combination, one is intermittent fasting and there's ketogenic diet. What I do with people and what helped me it was, was much more based on intermittent fasting. Just quite frankly, it's simpler for people to do. Ketogenic can work in theory. 
it's just, it's, it's a complicated diet and it's like, you really got to manage your macros. And from my experience over years and years, people just in the short term will do that, but then they kind of fade. Intermittent fasting basically gets your insulin down long enough, low enough that your body gets a signal, natural state. It is a natural fueling system. Your body wakes it up. We just got to wake it up. It's like, I need fuel. Don't have the glucose here. Got to break down. It opens up those fat cells. The body's going to start breaking it down, but you just got to get the insulin down long enough, low enough. That's uh, great advice. Will you come back next time and maybe we can delve a little bit more into the intermittent fasting? Sure. Yeah, we'd love to. That was Dr. Cher Beauvais. We have to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. Hello and welcome to Your Natural Health Minute. I'm Steve Herringer with Robert Pierce, founder of Prairie Naturals. Robert, you've been creating formulations for men's health for almost 25 years now. Tell us what you found. Here's what we know. Frequent urination is a symptom of an allergic prostate. And here's what I recommend. Prosforce, one a day, a proven formula containing supplemental berry, nettle root extract, along with vitamins and minerals. Okay, we know there's a thing called andropause or male menopause. How can we deal with this male change of life? Well, Steve, our Androforce product helps men control their testosterone and cortisol levels. Very important. So with Prairie Naturals, Prosforce, and Androforce, you've got an excellent start on your prostate protection program. Look for Prairie Naturals active formulations for men's health. Prosforce and Androforce are available wherever natural health products are sold. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. An accomplished member of the Canadian natural products industry, Robert Pierce has worked to build his company, Prairie Naturals, into one of the most recognized and respected natural health product brands in Canada. Robert's passion for healthy living expanded to include understanding the role of organics, whole foods, and supplements in healthy aging. Fueled by his personal quest for strength, vitality, and abundant energy, Robert also began to recognize there were very few products that addressed the health issues specific to men. This motivated him to create a new category of products that would help men of all ages take a proactive approach to protecting and improving their own health. Robert is recognized as an ambitious, friendly business leader who builds lasting relationships with his customers. Through his experience and knowledge, he's become a champion of men's health and wellness and is recognized as a walking example of healthy aging. Welcome back to the show, Robert. How are you? Well, thank you. Pleasure to be here again. It's been a long time, a year. It has. And the happy point is we've got you talking about what's right in your wheelhouse, men's health, right? Very important. It's never too late. (laughs) So what do we know about men's health? Well, we know for sure men have specific needs and concerns uh, very much different than their female partner. We, have, um, we do have issues as we get older. We're high risk for heart disease, diabetes, liver uh, disease, cancer. And studies show that 50% of men between 51 and 60, okay, and 90% of men over 80 suffer from benign enlargement of prostate, which is pretty serious. 
And how does that manifest? Is that like, you know, sometimes I have these nights where I have to wake up and go to the bathroom. Is that, is that the type of thing that we're That's talking about? It. Yes, very simple. Your prostate swells, pushes on your bladder, and then you have to relieve it. Okay, yeah, that's that's fine. We do have a swelling happening as we get older, but not to that extent. And when it causes a, uh, us a lot of discomfort, which is not good, so we have to have we have to take care of that. And we do have a product called Prosforce that actually has the ingredients in there: the supplemental, the Pygem, the zinc, the B6. Those ingredients actually help reduce the swelling of the prostate. Okay, so a lot of this is tied to the hormones that sort of course through us, right? Yes. Can you explain about hormonal balance in men? Well, hormonal balance difference is quite a bit different than, than women. We I like to call it menopause, but it's, it's andropause where they have uh, menopause. So our andropause has affected us in such a way that our cortisol levels actually get out of control and our estrogen levels are too high. And we have to take care of that. That's uh, very important to take care of that. What happens with estrogen levels, your body tends to gain a lot of fat in the chest and belly area. That is not healthy. Again, cortisol levels, we tend to have issues with cortisol as we get older, and it does affect us in a lot of ways. We're uh, sweating and, and we have kind of nervous tendencies, and our health issues seem to slip and go downhill when that happens. We have to get that under control. And there is a product called Androforce, which actually helps that. Okay, and uh, the main ingredient in there is DIM, D-I-M. Most guys know about that now. That reduces the cortisol and the estrogen, and that's super important to have as we get into our silver and golden uh, years. Okay, so how do hormones affect man's overall well-being? So, like, my understanding of it is it, it sort of it sort of regulates all aspects of our health, right? As we get yes. older, can you expand on that a little bit? As we get older, our hormones get out of control, and we uh, we're not sure. A lot of guys not sure what's going on, but the levels of testosterone go down. Now, another key note is when they're testing testosterone levels, they test all the groups of testosterone. And the most important testosterone level is the free testosterone. And we only actually have about two or 3% of total testosterone levels that are free t- testosterone. And we need that two or 3%. It's super important to have that. And if we don't have that, we're actually, we have no testosterone in our body. A lot of guys don't realize that, okay? And you need testosterone to really pick up your health benefits, to exercise, to daily function, brain function, testosterone's everything, bone bone mass, it's incredible. We have to really make sure if we go for this, this blood test that we have free testosterone. And that's the main key thing here in men's health is uh, testosterone. Okay. We touched on it a little bit before about one of the signs of having a swollen prostate gland is, is obviously sort of the middle of the night urge, uh, urge to pee. What other signs are there that you have a swollen prostate? The swollen prostate is probably the, uh, the first sign. Back pain, your prostate will give you a lot of back pain, lower back pain, a night sweating, irritability. You'll have urination pain when you when you when you urinate. You'll you'll feel a lot of pain. Also, it'll be a, a very slow urination. It'll be a dribble, and those are the signs. And they come on they come on pretty fast. Actually, you don't have that heavy flow anymore. 
and getting up more than three or four times at night. I mean, those are the signs that from a prostate, a swollen prostate, that are very serious. You know, it's never too late to take care of these issues. At any age, you can fix these issues. And not so that your prostate is actually, well, I think I have cancer. No, your prostate is swollen as we get older, and it pushes on your bladder and creates a lot of issues. So it is treatable, which is good. Oh, very, very much so. Do you think it's possible for men to have uh, an active sex life into their golden years? Is that still doable, do you think? Yes, it is, for sure. I touched on the testosterone levels, okay? Mm-hmm. I had mentioned about the free, free-form testosterone, which is 2 uh, to 3% in the body that we need. And if we have that, we will have a great sex life. We will have, not like it was when we were in the 20s and 30s or so on, but we will have the drive. And, you know, it goes along with exercising, looking after your body, taking supplements, eating the right foods, sulfur-containing foods that, that help build the male hormone, testosterone in the body. These all work part and part and partial of keeping your health strong and keeping your virility up. There is a supplement called Vigor Force that is that is it's amazing. It has Demiama, Tonk Ali, Ginseng, Bulgarian Testeris, which is unbelievable. These herbs are amazing. And they are they are all passed by the FDA. Okay? No issue. This product, I get such good feedback from this product. It's incredible. Let's get a little bit personal. Let's trade ideas. Okay. Okay. Sure. So one of the things I did, so I used to do a lot of aerobic work. I was running when I was younger and spinning. But now as I get older, because I'm I'm 55, I've actually switched to doing more weight training. I do more lifting and more resistance training. And that's probably like three out of my five workouts every week. So that's my tip. What do you do personally that helps with your health? Well, of course, I pay attention to my diet really close. I was in my gym this morning downstairs in my basement. Not a, not a, a heavy gym. There's, it's not full of heavy weights or anything. The treadmill, <laughs> yep. um, I call it a, a monkey cage, <laughs> a yep. climber that I can do all kinds of exercises on, hang from. Yep. I've got some light dumbbells up to 60 pounds that I do pullovers. Very important that I like to do pullovers every time that I go to the gym for breathing, to work on my diaphragm, expand my rib cage, and fill my lungs full of oxygen. So I do 30, 30 or 40 reps just before I do anything, before I even stretch. You're doing those with 60s? I start with a 40, and then I do 20 with a 40, then I go to the 60-pound dumbbell. Oh, you're yeah. with, what, with one dumbbell, not with two? Oh, no, just with one. Okay, because, man, if you could do it with two, that's pretty impressive. Well, yeah, two-handed. I do one-handed, so both hands are around the the top of the dumbbell, and you breathe as you go over. Breathe in through your nose, and you come up, you breathe out through your mouth. And and you wouldn't believe, but a lot of people start this exercise, and they say, wow, this is hard. I can't do this. The breathing, you know, once you get into it, then after you finish you finish the pullovers, your your body is just so oxygenated, and it's unbelievable. It's your levels are high; they're almost a hundred percent. If you if you did that test, if you had that little that little uh, meter to put on your finger, you wouldn't believe it. Wow, good for you. I start with that first. I do that first, but before I do anything, when I get up in the morning, I have my drink. I drink my liter of water, and then I have my El 
glutamine. I have a little bit of D-ribose that ups my ATP, yep. which I really like. And then um, usually with that, I have the Rise and Shine. I take the Rise and Shine, which is quite a unique product. It's a mineral-based product, mineral salts and sour lemon with a little bit of honey. Amazing product. So I use these products, and that's my drink. And I'll eat a little bit of fruit while I work out. Just an apple, orange, banana, whatever. Yeah. Uh, whatever pear. And then after I finish my workout, then I will have my breakfast, my main breakfast. And that's kind of how I start my day, at least if I go downstairs, three or four days a week. Because yeah. I'm, not, I'm not lifting heavy. I'm doing more aerobic exercise. I'm on the treadmill, on the bike, going back and forth after I do the pullovers. But one thing I do like, I have uh, rubber bands, the yep. rubber bands with the handle grips at the end. Yep. And I really like those rubber bands because they have resistance. They pull back on you. I use those to warm up before I'm doing my chest and arm stuff. Just That's right. It helps with the smaller muscles. I totally agree. So yeah. I, I use the bands for the warm up. hundred yeah. percent. The rubber bands are incredible. And then um, I like to do chins and dips and that sort of thing. I don't use a lot of weight. Oh, so you're doing, you're doing body weight stuff. Good for you. I, I try to use my body weight to do that. So I'm around 190 pounds. So if I can do, if I can pull myself up, say 15 times in a set, I mean, that's pretty good. And dips. I usually do more dips than I can do chins. <laughs> amazing workout when you're doing using your body weight. It's incredible. And then your bands in between and then some dumbbells. Will you come back again and tell us more about your workout? <laughs> yeah. That sounds good. I, yeah. I enjoy that in the morning when I go down and do that. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yes. Pleasure talking to you. I'd like to do this again sometime. So it's never too late to look after your male menopause and your prostate. That was Robert Pierce. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss upcycling food on The Tonic. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian-owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000-square-foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. Hi, I'm Jamie Buston. I'm not only the host of the Tonic Talk Show and podcast, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. Tonic's a health and wellness publication distributed with the Globe and Mail to each and every home subscriber in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. And it can be found free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA. You can learn more about Tonic Magazine at tonictoronto.com. Hey, if you like the Tonic Talk Show, check out the new look of Tonic Magazine. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their Liquid Greens Chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid Greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained, natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy, enjoy the detox, enjoy the great taste. Purely natural, liquid greens. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. 
John Dashinsky is the executive vice president of Provision Coalition, an entrepreneur, social innovator, thought leader, speaker, and coach who helps unleash the power of purpose. John has worked in more than 60 countries with some 200 plus organizations. He's the co-founder of Orica Solutions, which is pioneering a new industry of insect farming to revolutionize how food is produced. John has shared speaking platforms with leaders such as Mikhail Gorbachev, Kofi Annan, and Steve Wozniak, and is the author of two books and lectures at universities on both sides of the Atlantic. Welcome to The Tonic, John. How are you? Well, it's a pleasure to be here, Jamie. I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me. So today we're, we're talking about a phrase that I'm actually not too familiar with, and I'm wondering whether our listeners are too, and that is upcycling food. What does it mean when we say we're upcycling food? It's a great question, Jamie. Um, so I'm, I'm going to assume that most of your listeners are familiar with the fact that in Canada, we don't eat all of the food that we make. Yeah, that uh, actually we're, 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 we're not very good at this at all. 58% of everything we grow and produce in this, in this country, we throw away before it gets consumed by humans. Now, some of that food is actually the byproduct, if you like, of how we make the food itself. Right. So think about this. Maybe this morning you had a glass of orange juice. Now, that orange juice left behind a whole load of orange peels and pulp. Um, which typically gets thrown away. What upcycling is saying is, is there something more that we could be doing with those products instead of throwing them away? Could we create new products or ingredients from them? Could we upcycle them to create new ways of enjoying the nutrients and 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 the value that's still left in those things that we're throwing away as part of a healthy, sustainable, and often quite local way of eating? That's what upcycling is all about. So the example you gave is on the production side, but I can think of other examples. For example, food that sits in our grocery stores that maybe isn't purchased and, and you know, like uh, it's produce, so maybe the shelf life isn't that long, or even food that sits in our fridge that doesn't get used and, and ends up being thrown in the garbage. Are, are those examples of foods that could be upcycled as well? Well, it's great because what you've done there, Jamie, is really pointed to lots of different types of food waste, the ways that we waste. You're right. Food that does not get sold in grocery stores can go to waste, although many grocery stores and many retailers are getting much better um, at uh, uh, diverting or donating that food. It's true that a lot of food waste happens in the home as well. We, we buy those uh, sort of multi-packs of salad and we don't, we don't quite consume them in time and we end up putting some of that uh, food in, in the garbage. Right. The upcycling is really, though, it's about focusing on this space of how we do produce the food, because there are millions of tons of these upcycled opportunities, these byproducts, if you like, from how we make food that are really not being used today. Um, and, and most of them are thrown away. Some of them get diverted to animal feed. Right. One great example we, we've seen a lot of recently is in the brewing industry. You know, you, when you make beer, you need to have grains as part of making the beer. And at the end, the grains are not part of the beer. So they're spent. They're literally um, thrown away. Now, lots of breweries will give those off to farmers for animal feed. But we've worked with companies who are creating uh, dog biscuits out of them, uh, who are creating bread products out of them. Um, There's a lot that you can still do with those grains rather than just giving them over to, to animal feed. So why should we care about food waste? Like, why is it relevant? Well, if food waste was a country, 
it would be the third largest greenhouse gas emitter in the world. Wow. Yeah. Two thirds, as I said, 58% of food is wasted. And if you look at some of the, uh, the, the stats just from Canada, I mean, it's, uh, it's huge. Um, the amount of stuff that we're throwing away every day, tens of thousands of, of cups of milk, of vegetables, all of these things that are, that are full of incredible nutrients. And you think about how much energy and water it's taken to grow these things, yeah, to grow this produce, to then ship it and package it and bring it to the store. And then maybe it doesn't, it doesn't get consumed. It's just such a waste. And frankly, there is no other industry on the planet or no other sector of our economy on the planet that runs at 58% wastage. Yeah, no, that... If you think about that, if for every two cars Ford made, they put one straight in the garbage, they'd never make any money. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be possible to run the company. And, and we've built our entire food system like that. So it's why do we need to care about this? We need to care about it because it is fundamentally unsustainable. And because whether, whether we like it or not, we need to make some significant changes to the way that we grow and consume uh, food in order to have a hope of getting anywhere close to the goals that we need to set ourselves from 2030 and upwards to 2050. So what are some of the solutions that your group has come to in terms of how we upcycle the food? So what, it sounds like we're talking at a macro level. In other words, it's the production side as opposed to the end use side. So if that's true, is this about approaching the farmers and getting them to redistribute all the excess or, or, or what does it entail? Yeah, so this is, in order to tackle food waste, we need to tackle it at every single stage of the process. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking, well, what can I be doing at home? Well, you can think about how you store your fruits and vegetables, for example, so that they last longer. Um, you can think about how you can get creative with, uh, with your leftovers. You can think about doing a little bit more meal planning. Now, most of the so 30% of the, 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 the waste by weight is, is vegetables. So we can think about how we're using food, how we're planning for food, maybe resist the urge to buy those great big multi-packs. They might, they might seem cheap and exciting, but if you aren't sure that you're going to consume the food, then buying it in the first place just because we have space in the fridge, perhaps we don't need it. So those are some of the things we can think about doing at an individual level. Right. At the manufacturing level, which is where we're really focusing for the Upcycled Food Festival, um, this is about creating um, new opportunities to create real delicious local sustainable food from things that were otherwise not being used. So we've launched the first ever Upcycled Meal Kit as part of the Upcycled Food Festival. And in that meal kit, you'll find only items that have been upcycled. So we have in there a ramen noodle, which is um, upcycled from um, something called okara. So when you make tofu, there's um, a, a residue after you've pressed the soya beans, which is called okara, and it's full of protein and it's full of fiber, but until now has not really been used. Well, we've worked with a company who has created this technology where they can take that okara and turn it into um, a ramen noodle. So you can have a noodle that is coming from something that used to be tofu. 
they've uh, this very same company has also created a, a technology that allows you to take a byproduct from sake, the Japanese sake making. Mm-hmm. When you uh, when you press the grain, there's a little residue left over from that, like a kind of sediment or deposit from the sake making, and they've found that you can mix that with elements of miso to make this fabulous upcycled miso broth. So you've got this noodle that's upcycled, you've got this broth, and then also in the meal kit, you'll find vegetables that aren't as beautiful as the ones that we would like to see on our shelves in the grocery stores. Right. Um, So we call them ugly vegetables. Mm -hmm. But they taste just the same as a normal vegetable. And when you chop them up and you put them in in a noodle bowl, I mean, who knows whether they were pretty or not to start with. So you've got those vegetables in there. And we also have worked with uh, this company who's created this fabulous baking technology. They do plant-based baking. And so they've created these muffins, again, using the okara from tofu. And we wrap all that up by putting in the meal kit itself some tofu. And this is tofu that's also called kind of, quote-unquote, ugly tofu. So it's it's been broken in the process of manufacturing. It still tastes just the same as normal tofu, but it doesn't make it to retail because it's, it's a little bit misshapen. But grind it up and uh, so crumble it up and put it on, uh, on, your, um, on your ramen noodle bowl with the broth there, and you'll never notice the difference. So this uh, upcycled meal kit is really a demonstration of what's possible in the upcycled space. And there are more and more companies out there who are taking leftover vegetable peels and turning them into crunchy crisps um, and, uh, and other such things. There's a, a real emergence of this space. In fact, it was upcycling was named one of the top five trends to watch this year in food um, by Whole Foods. So it's the beginning of a, a movement that is local, delicious, and sustainable. And that's really what the Upcycle Food Festival is is all about over the next uh, month or so. Sounds great. We only have time for one really quick question, and that is if people are interested in this festival that you've mentioned, where would they go to find more information? Yeah, absolutely. So to find out more about the Upcycle Food Festival, go to upcycledfoodfest.ca. That's upcycledfoodfest.ca. And on there, you'll be able to order your meal kit. Uh, you'll be able to find out restaurants in your local area that are doing special upcycled meals as part of the festival. And you'll be able to join the conversation and find out more about other companies who are doing great upcycled work as well. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. That was John Dushinsky. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Dr. Ludovic Brunel, ND, Dr. Cher Beauvais, DC, Robert Pierce, and John Dushinsky. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can always follow us at It's The Tonic on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And that's brand new, folks. For great articles written by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. The November-December issue is available free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. Or you can visit our new website, thetonic.ca. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can always email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. Next week on the show, we'll discuss the health and wellness issues that are important to you. Until then, this is Jamie Bussin wishing you a healthy and happy week.
This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.